0: to episode number 24 of the room mill Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hartwell. Thanks for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed uh, all the episodes up until this point. I've had some really great guests, and I have a, another amazing one today. Uh, what I would consider a friend of mine, Dr. Alex Stopa.
1: Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. It's
0: going to be fun. Oh, yeah, it is going to be fun. Uh, Alex is... Um, uh, I believe we met, uh, probably a year and a half ago to two years ago. Um, and, uh, when I got to UNLV at some point, I can't remember the exact moment when we met, but, uh, obviously, uh, I had already heard your name before that though. Um, you're, uh, you've made, you know, quite the reputation throughout the percussion community with all your accomplishments through your arranging, through your composition, um, just overall throughout the community. And, uh, Everybody, you know, enjoys your stuff that you put out, and you know, as a as a percussionist, it's really nice to uh, right, really nice to meet someone who has made it to this point, this like thus far. So, uh, yeah, it's a really it's a real honor to have you on.
1: I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and I'll try to live up to your nice glowing <laughs> description of my, of me.
0: Well, you know. <laughs> The, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because the, um, not a lot of people know that, that you on top of being, uh, a, a great marimbus, but you also play other things at a high level and to the point of like where your current position is now, where you're with Cirque du Soleil, uh, at a show called La Rev at the win. Um, we can obviously get back to that or, or get into it right now, but, um, what has been kind of like your motivation throughout your career to be as proficient as you can cuz obviously you've taken um the academic route as as some of us do uh getting a doctorate a DMA but uh what has been like kind of your overall motivation throughout your career
1: Um oh gosh that's kind of a tough question but but what I can say is that pretty much as long as I can remember I've always music has always been a part of my life right my parents my, my mom is a fresh, professional musician teacher and my dad oh wow um also a musician not not professionally he's actually a, an artist a painter but a- also a teacher and so from a very young age music was always going on in our house and uh I remember starting piano lessons when I was probably about five years old and I think I was one of those terrible students that never practiced and fall asleep in their lessons and that kind of thing. <laughs> right. But, um, but that, that got my interest, I guess, peaked in some way in music and then um, started playing drums you know, soon after that, basically. And so as far as motivation goes, um, I've always felt pretty self-motivated just out of the love of music to do it myself. I haven't really needed, uh, teachers to, you know, kick me up the backside kind of thing so much, although that is certainly important and I've had plenty of encouragement over the years, but I guess just in terms of doing my own thing and practicing and composing, whatever the, whatever the case may be, Mm -hmm. I've always felt pretty motivated just to kind of do it myself because i love it and i think that's um that's key in this industry if you're getting into music whether it's drummer percussionist whatever instrument if you don't love it then i don't know it's gonna be tough to hang on to it yeah (laughs) yeah because like being a musician is not an easy career path by any stretch at least from a financial standpoint right you know so for me um i've been lucky that i've been able to make a living um, doing what I love and so <clears throat> it doesn't seem that much like work mm-hmm. to use the old cliche of course
0: right well <laughs> cliches are cliches for a reason right but true. Uh, I find it interesting because uh, people people often look at at musicians like yourself or successful uh, pretty much masters of any craft right uh, I you know people used to look at like the people that I that I went to school with, we would look at these drum set players that we admired, um, like Steve Smith or Steve Gadd, Benny Caluta, and we would often forget about that we're seeing the end result, right? And what we're seeing is a culmination of years and years and years of grinding and hard work. And um I think people often especially now when we're when we're able to see the end result so easily. Uh, I think people forget about kind of like the grinding aspect of this career path. Um, I, I, for one, am still in the early stages of of my career, so I'm still in the grinding aspect. There's a lot of work to do. But uh, growing up in the states, um, I had a lot of I had a lot of structured uh, upbringing through the marching activity. Um, growing up in Australia, I believe you're from you're from Adelaide, right? That's right. Right. Growing up in Australia, what was the, the drone community like growing up there?
1: Um, very different for a couple of reasons. First of all, this was pre-internet and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So right. that, I mean, having access to YouTube these days, like you said, and the saturation of information mm-hmm. is, uh, is a blessing and a curse, I guess. For Overwhelming at times. I think exactly. most of the time, but <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, so there's that, of course, the technology aspect, but also Australia is very isolated as well, which is where I grew up. I didn't move to the States until I was 21. And, um, so the percussion community over there, very, very close knit kind of small community, I I guess, uh, as you find in general, anyway, all over the world, even to this day, the music communities are pretty pretty small and close-knit everyone kind of knows everyone right
0: starting to kind of realize that myself yeah yeah,
1: it's a good reason not to make any enemies <laughs> <laughs> exactly you know? yeah um but uh the people that did the big artists that did make it to australia like like drum set artists who who did clinic tours or whatever we only really got the cream of the crop you know because right. it's a long way it's expensive to travel to australia and so you don't just get this large number of of artists who might be very, very good that that we get over here in the States, right? You know, you get so and so coming through town to do a clinic at the local university and if you want to do that in Australia then you have to first take a twenty four hour plane ride and you know that yeah kind of thing.
0: and you gotta get help help from the companies that endorse you and most of the exactly. time it's most of the time it's like uh like Yamaha would have like a tour, right? Or they would they would send over a just a, a group of of people over there, right?
1: Right, yeah. yeah, or someone who's on tour with a big artist. Oh, right, you know, right, like, like a pop artist or something. Oh, true. So the the kind of people that I saw doing drum clinics, for example, growing up were Dave Werkle, Dennis Chambers, Wow, um, Mike Sturd. <laughs> you know, like the cream of the crop, like really already, yeah, high end um drummers. And so in my teenage mind, that was like, okay, well that's the standard, right? That's what I thought was was you know what you needed to be wow right? that's I'm, actually I'm not comparing myself to, the, to them that's between. actually great though because <laughs> yeah.
0: i've actually seen just as many bad clinics and workshops as i have good ones you know right
1: and yeah i mean we've all seen our fair share of both right yeah but um yeah growing up that was kind of what i was exposed to and then also um recordings right so obviously this was the the age of cassettes and cds and you know that kind of stuff pre-streaming and so you know the only recordings you really get unless you hunt down indie artists um, the only recordings you get are big releases by big famous drummers and so um, for example in the percussion world like the the marimba stuff that I was listening to were these big world-class recordings Keiko Abe, Lehigh Stevens, Safri Duo, Mm -hmm. um, whoever else you know, and similarly, that was the level that I um, thought that okay, well, that's where I need to be. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's the standard. Not realizing that okay, well, that's the the highest possible standard, right. and there's a lot there's a lot underneath that. Um, but the isolation of Australia being where it is geographically and then uh, technologically as well, pre-internet or pre-widely available internet. Um, that's kind of what I grew up hearing, and so you know, for better or worse, <laughs> that, yeah. that set my standards pretty high. And perhaps now I'm just, you know, leading myself up to failure with <laughs> yeah. trying to compare myself to those people.
0: But I mean, at the same time, I mean that that sparks that already sparks the passion. You're you're this time you're a kid, and you're like okay. I want to do this. I've already got the drum bug, but then, you know, you hear the standard and you're like, uh, okay, well, I mean, uh, this is it, then I'm going to do it. So for me, that was more like, I, I, I had the internet, but I also didn't have the, uh, the full capabilities of it that what it is now. I mean, uh, at the time we, you know, dial up and everything, it just made watching, videos or you know stuff like that i don't think youtube was even a thing um for a while until i was probably in junior junior high or high school but uh i still my dad would buy concert dvds and so my he would buy every rush live concert dvd that ever came out and um or vhs and so my first drumming influence was neil peart along with uh the drummer for bon jovi the the you know all these classic rock drummers and prog yeah. rock drummers, and uh, that was my main influence. And and you know I I really was you know the kid who was learning Back in Black by ACDC, just playing you know my dad's uh, PA system, playing it through the PA system, just playing as loud as I possibly could. So my standard, uh, you know, being self taught and everything, and I you know I looked up to these to these drummers uh, immensely, um, especially Neil Peart rest in peace but um i i thought the standard was uh my love for rock music on top of you know the standard of drumming there was uh, i thought it was incredible and i and <laughs> i couldn't stop listening to brush and i'm like 10 years old so right. it was uh it's definitely where i get my influence from but sure, huh? the spark the spark for you was there so now you're probably you know in high school you know about to go to college and uh, where did you do your undergrad,
1: actually? Uh, at the Elder Conservatorium, which is University okay. of Adelaide in South Australia. Okay. A- oh, my, so it was. Got hometown. Country.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yep. That's considered like wine country of Australia, right?
1: It is. Yeah. The Barossa Valley, McLaren Vale, a lot of the famous Australian wines come out of that, that part of the world. Right. Very
0: nice. Uh, uh, the, it's funny um, how many people from Adelaide actually live here because uh, yeah. they all, I, I feel like I know so much about Adelaide, now I just have to go see it, so.
1: <laughs> right, well, yeah, I don't know who the first person to move out here, but uh, Dr. Tim Jones was certainly one of the earliest Adelaide expats to make up, make a um, his way to Vegas, and then he helped me um, get out to study at UNLV. How much older and, is he than you? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. He's, yeah, he, he, we didn't go to. We went to the same um, university in Australia, but he was several years ahead of me. Okay. So, yeah. Gotcha. And he did the jazz course um, in Adelaide, whereas I did the the classical percussion. Oh,
0: okay. Course. I thought you did the jazz course. No, I've okay. always just
1: done um, classical uh, percussion. Yeah. Okay. But I played drum set on my own.
0: Right. Uh, I, as did I. Through, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Ryan Harrison,
1: Adelaide, right? Another Adelaide guy. Yeah. Yep. yep. And it's funny, like a lot of the a lot of the Cirque du Soleil drummers happen to be from Adelaide. Uh, yeah. Paul Butler, Ben Todd. Um, I don't know if it's something in the water.
0: <laughs> There's a guy coming up there right now that uh I befriended through Instagram, uh, Alexander Flood. He uh he's he's in Adelaide right now. He he went to the University of Adelaide and everything. He's a he's crazy. He's so he's insane. Yeah. I'll have to send you some of his stuff.
1: Yeah, there's. I mean, the thing about Adelaide is it's it's a, it's a fairly small town by Australian standards. Yeah, it's not small. I mean, it's a, mi- a million people. Is it southeast, right? Uh, no, south. Well, south, almost central. Okay, I guess. gotcha. But but cent- I say central as in it's still on the coast, right? Yeah, in the right. Se- center of Australia. There's really it's not very inhabitable. It's just a desert. <laughs> This desolate uh, wasteland, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's there's a really great art scene in Adelaide, <clears throat> and though it's very difficult to make a living as a musician and an artist in Adelaide, which is one of the reasons that I now live in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's we have so many big festivals, arts festivals, um, unique, kind of quirky fringe festivals. Um, and so I, I think that has, uh, as well as a really great percussion program and, and music program there, and so I think that has a lot to do with why there are many Adelaide drummers out there working right. and gigging and stuff. It's because there's that nurturing environment, that, and you get exposed to a lot of great musical and artistic stuff growing up, so that's important. Uh,
0: who was your teacher there?
1: Uh, James Bailey. Okay. Jim Bailey. Gotcha. Yeah, so he, in my opinion, one of the greatest percussion professors, well, around. But I've heard the in, same Australia. yeah I've heard the same. Yeah, amazing teacher. Um, I was really lucky to study with him, and and uh, I think he, you know, instilled in me that that passion and that um, diligence for just working hard and practicing and you know mm-hmm. doing your thing and sticking sticking to your guns, musically speaking. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm pretty, feel pretty grateful that I got to, to study with him. And- yeah, right.
0: I, I feel the same for, for my undergrad professor who, you know, uh, Dr. Lonnie Benoit, he, uh, yeah. he made me realize that it, it was actually a, it was more than just hitting something. It was, it, it was a craft. Um, right. when I started shifting my mindset towards that, that's when I was even more deep into it even more hooked which i'm sure you can relate to but uh it it took me a couple years obviously when you're 18 and don't know anything and then (laughs) one day it just clicked for me and so i was hooked from from that point on but uh I, i definitely think in our community um if you go the route that that we did which is the academic higher education route uh I believe teachers having a good relationship with your teacher and and respecting the mutual respect for between teacher and student uh is super important
1: absolutely yeah yeah certainly
0: and uh I feel like I've heard of you know some horror stories of of people not liking their professor, which ultimately leads them to you know choose a different path perhaps but uh I feel like I've been extremely lucky in the teachers that I've had both both my main professors have been. Um. Uh, excellent. I, I have no complaints. It's uh, yeah. it's I, I. But I do consider myself lucky because I know it's not the same for everyone.
1: Right. Well, uh, you know, one of the things I say to all my um, high school students and, and younger kids that I teach who want to go into music as a career and so are I, I looking at colleges. I mean, in my opinion, the most important thing is that student-teacher relationship. So, you know, I always. If, if possible, I tell my students to go out and take a lesson with, you know, the, whatever professor um, they, they want to study with, wherever it happens to be, get to know them, you know, learn about the program because, you know, all the academics and stuff, of course, that's an important part of, of the music college experience, but let's face it, you're going there if you're going to do a music performance degree, you're going there To learn how to play music and and hone your craft and so in my opinion the teacher is the most important thing there
0: i agree you know and it's uh it's something that is sometimes uh, sometimes people luck out where you know their hometown has a great percussion program i know the people in in lake charles uh where i did my undergrad they they lucked out. I mean, now that Lonnie's there or Lonnie was there for a long time and still is there as the department head, but now they have Brian who who is this new and, in and up and coming person who is, uh, you know, making a name for himself in our community. So it's so yeah. funny. It's some people just luck out, you know, and I, maybe, maybe you did as well in Adelaide.
1: For sure. Yeah. I was going to say that I fall into that exact same category. And, uh, in, in Australia generally, um, I would say most people end up going to college in their hometown. Right. Right. There's less colleges to choose from, of course, just because the population is much smaller in Australia than compared to America. Right. Um, but I happened to end up in Adelaide where I grew up and that happened to be where James Bailey taught. And so I auditioned for, there were actually a couple music schools in Adelaide at that time and I, I auditioned for both. And, and that was my number one pick was to go to the conservatory there wow and so uh yeah i mean uh i lucked out that it happened to be that there was a brilliant percussion professor and teacher there yeah um who knows what my career may have been had there been a different teacher or had i gone to a different school you know right um it's you can't understate i think the the influence that certain people have on you and your life and your career and stuff you know right for me i know that was the way with with my teachers of course, over here as well with Dean Grunemeyer. and um and uh it sounds like that's the same for for you as well with your experience with yeah with Lonnie, who I know very well and he's a brilliant musician and really inspirational teacher as well.
0: Yeah. So. He uh him and, and Dean have been uh incredible for me. Um and you know it's interesting that because of you know where you end up, you end up meeting people who teach you as well um, you know you've taught me uh you know larry aberman um and people like that. but before we get into uh into the other teachers you've had, what made you decide vegas what made you decide u n l v
1: um there are a couple things when i when I was getting close to graduating from the conservatorium i I knew I wanted to go overseas and study. I always had a passion for traveling anyway. Okay, gotcha. You know, that was something that interested me. And I've always loved jazz. Um, A lot of the artists that I looked up to, uh, American artists, percussionists, drummers, musicians, all sorts. And so, you know, I I wanted to go to America, I decided. I thought that would be the best place for me to study. Um, And chance had it that Tim Jones was visiting... Adelaide um, around that time and he popped into the university to kind of I guess catch up with people and and we met and started chatting and so um, I was familiar with Dean Gronemeyer's music because he's a composer. Uh, Marimba was something that I really wanted to focus on and emphasize in my studies and so Tim was kind of the catalyst to get all this happening. He put me in contact with Dean uh, helped to arrange um, you know to help me audition and scholarship money and all that kind of stuff because i was a broke student and couldn't have afforded to study in in the states plus there's a
0: there's a lot more logistics for international students right absolutely yeah yeah
1: Yeah, it's it's a big it's a big process right uh, you know the whole uh, applying for visas over here like you know for me that was pre-9-11 and with mm-hmm. everything going on over here now, it, it, I can I imagine it's way, way more complicated for students these days than it Just was. Just the stories these. I've
0: heard, it's it's insane,
1: you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so that's basically kind of how it came about. Um, I was interested in studying in the States. Uh, Tim happened to show up at the right time, really, to, to kind of... It all
0: fall, fell into place then. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's... The rest
0: is history. As yeah, say. the um, so you do your master's and doctorate at UNLV, yeah. and during that time, you are. I'm I'm assuming that you're you're taking marimba pretty seriously, right? I mean, is, are you considering making it a virtuosic thing, or you or you just love the instrument and you just wanted to get as good as you possibly could at
1: it? Um. Uh, b- both, I guess. I wasn't uh-huh. quite sure how marimba would would work in terms of um, a career, you know? It's tough. And I think people still struggle with that, though it's becoming a little more of an option. Right. But um, more as, as a, a teacher who performs on the side as opposed to like a full-time performer. There's only, you know, I mean, Evelyn Glennie really is the only person I can think of who's been able to make a living as a full-time performer you know mm-hmm. uh, there's probably others but she's the one that pops to mind um anyway marimba i always loved it i remember the from the moment i first heard the instrument which was back in adelaide um it was a master's student and we had to go to our student recitals every week you know right fulfill your recital attendance credit
0: don't miss those uh, days <laughs> right. uh,
1: and i heard um I can't remember his name anymore. Uh, I feel bad. Anyway, there was a guy playing variations on Japanese children's songs. And I'd heard marimba before then. Love that piece. Yeah, that's a Keiko Abe composition. And um, I'd never heard marimba played like that before. It like blew my mind. That was the moment I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. I want to do that. Yeah. And and so that was kind of the spark there for for marimba playing. And then it just kind of grew and, and... You know, I got into it more and more and listened to more players. Uh, And when I came out to the States, you know, that was, Dean Gronemeyer was, um, you know, his emphasis really was marimba. And so that became something that I pursued even more and developed. Uh, My my thought was kind of like I'd start kind of doing clinics and hopefully doing some concerts and stuff around the place, which gradually happened, you know, guest artist at a day of percussion or a, Whatever, right. you know those kind of events, yeah. um, but all, all the while, this was just because I really love doing it. Uh, I enjoy right. doing it. At that and point, s- it's
0: not really a, it's not really difficult to try to make it work. I mean, obviously, there's going to be obstacles, but you finding finding a way is a little bit easier. Um, with an instrument as difficult as marimba is, uh, I, I for one personally, I love playing it. So the time spent behind it, for people that love the instrument is a little bit easier than for someone who, cause marimba is a huge part of the percussion study uh, curriculum. So if you get a person who doesn't particularly care for it, uh, it's a, it makes their time a little bit more difficult. Um, but I, I, for one, um, I, I, I want to play as marimba as long as I can. So that there's, there was a certain drive behind, uh, my time, especially, uh, with marimba.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, and if you enjoy it and you love it, those hours in the practice room.
0: Yeah, they're enjoyable.
1: <laughs> yeah, most of them. You know, we all have those days where it's uh-huh. just not happening, and usually, I find if I just kind of press through and. Right. Keep doing it, then it, it <laughs> becomes, you know, good stuff happens most of the time. Well,
0: and that kind of leads to. At 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 a certain point, you studied with Keiko Abe, and right. how did that come about? Um, What's sh- obviously there's going to be a ton of questions that, um, that come with that experience because I don't feel like you're the only person I know that's ever studied with Keiko, so and she's such a monumental figure in our history, and in the history of the of the marimba itself, helping develop the the five octave in the eighties, um. All the literature she's uh, composed and and produced and um, just overall, uh, how did that come about and in and what was that experience like?
1: Um, yeah, so I did my I decided to do my my doctoral dissertation on Keiko Abe's music, um, and as I as I mentioned, you know the kind of that moment when I knew that I really fell in love with the marimba sound was hearing her her composition variations right. on Japanese children's songs um, and so it was it was a real um, pinch yourself kind of moment to I'm to sure with her yeah but there was a lot leading up to it um that kind of got me there uh, I forget the exact year but uh, I entered the world marimba competition which i think is now called the universal marimba competition it's ludwig albert's
0: oh yeah i've um, heard of that
1: competition in belgium and so um going back to that i made some connections there people that that um i knew and and even earlier actually one one teacher and and, and performer i should say in particular bogdan Bukanu, who i'd met back in australia Um, he'd done a concert tour and was a judge for a competition in Australia. So we first met then, and then I met him again in Belgium uh, at this competition where he was one of the adjudicators. Uh, and we, we were always friendly and kind of, you know, chatting and stuff. Um, fast forward a few more years, I went over to Austria to study with him uh, for, for a little while in, in, um, uh, at the, in Linz, at the, the Bruckner Conservatory over there. And so this is kind of skipping around. Oh, it's fine. This <laughs> a super interesting. So here Fast go. forward a few more years and I had decided to do my doctoral dissertation on Keiko's music and I realized that, well, I need to, if I'm going to write in any detail and with any depth of knowledge, then I need to spend some time with Professor Abe and get to know her music. And 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 so um, Bogdan Bakanu helped me kind of make that connection with her and and I of course had to audition, send in a CD. Right. She's not just
0: going to like waste her time with (laughs) anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, that's funny. Uh, I didn't even think about that until now.
1: Yeah. And so um, that was kind of the the timeline. Uh, Again, it's fascinating to me how in the course of our musical careers, sort of things just kind of fall into place somehow. Right. You know, you look at it, with 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 hindsight, you're looking back it's like, oh okay well, this kind of led to that and this led to that and that kind of thing of course, you don't know as it's happening where your path is gonna gonna lead as a musician
0: right just letting things happen is um something I'm getting better at because uh, everybody's path is so different like you compare yourself to um to other people's career paths and you're like man i wish I wish it looked like that but at the same time, I think if if you just worry about letting things happen and letting things kind of tie together and lead to other things like it has for you. uh, I think it it ultimately just works out for the best.
1: Yeah. I mean, some people have a really clear career path. Like I want to play in an orchestra. That's what I want to do. And so, you know, if that's your goal, then okay, here here are the steps you need to take to get there. Right. But for me, um, I never really quite had that focus, I guess, and so I went with the flow a little more, I suppose, yeah. and things have worked out alright, you know. Oh yeah. But um, but back to the to the Keiko Abe, um, experience of studying with her. So, yeah, but basically, I, I went over there a couple of times to study with her, kind of while I was doing my DMA. Um, and lessons basically involved me preparing most of her pieces and playing them. Uh, for her in lessons, we played together a lot, improvised together. One of the things I was really interested in and have always been interested in is improvisation. And so for me growing up, that was kind of in the jazz idiom. Um, but uh, as I went through college, I realized there's a lot more to improvisation than just jazz changes, right? So I played right, in exactly. contemporary music ensemble and I was introduced to some Stockhausen improvisations contemporary music and a lot of Keiko's music starts out as as improvisations if you look at Michi which is one of her most famous right pieces that the whole opening of that is a big long improvisation yes and so that was something I wanted to focus on as well and so my I'll never forget the first moment that I showed up in Tokyo which is a crazy place anyway I want to go. I've never been. (laughs) Yeah, try to find my tiny little apartment that I was staying at, and then show up the next morning, super jet lagged, at the school to take a lesson with. How long were you there for? Legend Keiko. Um, I was there probably all all in all, maybe close to three months, spread out over two trips. Wow. Okay, I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's that. That sounds about right. But um, yeah. So the the first time I showed up at the school. And she's like, okay, she's really soft-spoken and lovely. Um, She's like, what are you going to play for me? And I I decided to play Memories uh, of the Seashore because I'd just gotten off a 24-hour plane ride and my chops weren't feeling that great at that point. Right, yeah. That doesn't (laughs) need as much technique.
0: Yeah, it's a good piece to start out with. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I remember starting to play that and just sort of, you know, as you're performing, the things that go through your mind I'm thinking, oh my god, Keiko is, like sitting right there, and I'm playing her piece in front of her.
0: You know, I can't even um, imagine. I I don't know how I would act in that in that aspect. <laughs> it was
1: it was super cool. Uh, I mean, and and I, I performed. I played the piece for her, and and it went, it went fine. You know, and then she's like, okay, well, let's play together. And so then we there's two marimbas there, and she just improvised along with me playing the same piece. And it was just like I don't know. I used to, I grew up surfing, and this is oh, a okay. far fetched analogy here. But if you've ever been surfing, you you feel the sensation when the wave just kind of picks you up, and it's kind of like out of your control, and you just kind of hold on. And uh, for me, that's the way it felt playing duets with her. It was like here we go. Like I'm gonna hold on and just kind of let this wave of musicianship just, just let it happen, pick me up, yeah. yeah. And You're so, part of an elite
0: group then. Uh, I, I can't even imagine. I, there there cannot be a large group of people that have been able to play duets with Keiko Abe.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's playing music as... Let me start that again. Playing music together with her is a big part of her teaching process. Okay. Like all the students, you know, they'll prepare solos, of course, um, but a lot of the, the learning process was playing with her. You know, it's it's playing her compositions of course um and uh you know so so there's something to be said for feeling someone's phrasing and their intent in the music when you're playing with them right. in, in an ensemble you know that's much more powerful than just kind of describing it in words you know so that was a big part of her pedagogical um method i think and um, oh yeah part part of it that I remember the most you know playing together and so yeah. my lessons would typically you know I would prepare a piece uh, and we w- which whichever piece and, and of hers and we'd work on it together uh, we might play through it together and also we began to just kind of improvise every lesson so it, it could be um, one lesson we improvised on the theme of Michi that the piece that she composed um, other lessons we improvised just on ideas like energies you know we're going to sort of start with a mellow feel and build. Oh, wow. Whatever, That's incredible. Whatever kind of ideas, abstract or musical or thematic. Um, and so that really fulfilled my my idea and, and desire to uh, work on improvisation outside of the jazz sense in a different kind of classical sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... The, uh, I, could, I could talk for hours about my experience I'm sure. <laughs> over there, but that just hopefully gives you a bit of an an overview of you know what we worked on in lessons together and and how I even got over there to study with her in the first place.
0: Man, that is uh, that that's something that you know when people say your name around town, they're like, "Yeah, he studied with Keiko and stuff like that." And I was like, "I have to know what what that was like because uh, <laughs> it's such uh, she's almost like a she's almost like a unicorn I mean I've you know it's the what she's done for the instrument and for percussion in general um and you know I I never got to see her perform um I guess it was just a little bit past her time of doing. us tours uh but to hear that experience seems like something that propelled you forward in such a way that you couldn't get anywhere else it seems like a like a unique powerful experience if that makes sense
1: yeah absolutely you know you can't underestimate or understate i should say um her influence on the development of the marimba you know she's one of those people that when you think of the instrument her name automatically comes to mind that's true yes um and so having opportunity to to study with her was like it's yeah like I said, a kind of pinch yourself sort of moment. Right. Um, but she, you know, she, she's uh, really had, had a, um, a vision as well for her students and, you know, what she could see in them potential, you know, whether it be seeing, okay, this person is going to be a, a performer or this person's focus is going to be on teaching and, you know, so, um, I'm trying to kind of collect my thoughts as I speak here and it's not going so well. All of this, though, is to say that um, she is a masterful performer and um, composer, of course, but her students have gone on to do amazing things as well. Oh, absolutely. Be it performers or teachers. And, you know, Brian Zeta comes to mind. Oh, yeah. um, At A&M Commerce. Right. Yeah. Uh, And so, uh, and Ludwig Albert, many, many others, her... I had no idea Brian's
0: I had no idea Brian studied with her. Yeah. That, yeah. that's incredible. The as far as communication go, goes I have to ask was there a translator did, what, did she speak English or
1: her English, her English is good. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I um, was just
0: curious. I I didn't know if, how that was how that went about
1: Yeah, her English is is really good. My Japanese mm-hmm. is definitely not good at all I don't
0: even know where I would start with, <laughs> you know. Uh it it's uh I, I that's incredible though. I just the whole experience though, the 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 whole lineage as well. Um as you touched on uh that's just something that is I I find it elite. Uh I find it um to be now I I'm sure the lineage is so big that it just Stretches all across the world and in, into different cultures and to different uh, percussion communities. Um,
1: yeah, well, I think you know the the key thing to remember is that you know Keiko Abe has dedicated her life to the marimba, right? And and along with that um, comes a responsibility to I think share that knowledge, and so by teaching students like myself. Um, and Ludwig Albert and Brian Zader and, and whoever else around the world—that's um, that's part of that bigger vision to bring a wider recognition um, to the instrument, to bring it to so that it can be on the Carnegie Hall stage, just yes, like a piano yeah. or a violin or or one of these more established instruments that that goes back hundreds of years Uh, and so you know there's it's easy to get caught up in this idea of oh wow it's he studied with Keiko Abe and and you know that that's really impressive (laughs) I I suppose but um, I think it's important to to look at it in the context of her um, sharing her knowledge with students so that I can share that knowledge with my students so on and so forth and so that we can keep uh, building the prestige and the understanding and the appreciation for this instrument marimba, which is very, very young, you know, relatively speaking. Relatively, the, yes. The yeah. modern version of it, of course, the, the traditional version is yeah. very, very old. Yes. Um, and so that's that's the way I like to look at it personally. I feel privileged that I got to study with her. Um, but I understand that, you know, that was part of her giving to the next generation of percussionists. To which is on what she's established,
0: which you could argue is arguably uh, uh, her her best contribution is that wealth of knowledge. And um, that influence is something that's going to be forever in the history of our activities and in our in uh, our craft, which is yeah. I'm sure, you know, when you when you were done with that experience, you probably came back and you're you're riding on this high of all this musical um Teaching and and this development throughout your time there with her, um, which eventually you know I'm sure you know I'm sure your do- your your document was a breeze after that because you know it's <laughs> uh, in, in a sense of you know your the passion for it was I'm sure at an all time high. But you finish your DMA at UNLV under Dean, and uh, from from I guess that point you're like okay. There goes five years, six years of, of school uh, and development. So now what am I, I going to do now? So what was, what was kind of your mindset going into the, the post-graduation uh, life?
1: Um, I've been thinking about that for a long time before graduating. And I think uh-huh. that's an important thing that, that all students, music students, whether it be undergraduate or graduate students, you, you need to have an exit plan, right? You don't right. want to just graduate and then be like, okay, what now? Um, yeah. And so over years of studying here in town, I'd also developed connections and been auditioning and playing gigs around town. And so throughout my DMA, um, not so much my master's, um, I was still on a student visa at that point and really couldn't play a whole lot professionally just because it wasn't allowed. Um, But through my DMA, um, I had started to gig and play on shows subbing on shows that kind of thing and so i'd started to develop those connections with local percussionists and contractors and other musicians and that kind of all those people that other people that you need to to know if you want to have a career as a working musician um and so i knew that when i graduated from with, with my DMA, my goal was not to go and apply for college jobs as many people do. Um, I was quite happy playing music and performing in town. And, and in Las Vegas, there was, you know, there was a demand at that point. There were a lot of Broadway shows kind of going on. Right. Um, and so I found myself subbing on a lot of those and making a pretty good living doing that. And, um, so at that point, it just meant that I didn't have a document and recitals and stuff hanging over my head anymore. I could focus my attentions on just performing and playing and gigging instead of trying to juggle both of those things because right. was a lot. Oh, uh, it, yeah.
0: I mean, I can attest to that with even just my master's.
1: I yeah. Mean. And I should mention as well that like the last few years of my DMA were, were part-time. I wasn't full-time. Okay, I all. see. And I need to give a big thank you to... Dean Gronemeyer and Tim Jones <laughs> for being so patient and also giving me a kick up the rear end when I needed it to say, right. okay, you're going to graduate or what? You know? <laughs> um, Dean tends to do that. <laughs> yeah. He's great at that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that's kind of, that's kind of where I left off when I graduated. And so, you know, I always stress that to students of mine. It's like, you got to, you got to start making those connections. If you want to be a, a working musician, playing and gigging, that kind of stuff, then, you know, get started with those, that networking right. early on. Don't wait until you graduate. And, uh,
0: graduate. to reference Dean again, uh, one rep, one thing that he always says is, um, uh, the going to school here, um, uh, we have arguably the best lab, the best practice, uh, area um as far as gigging goes with the las vegas strip and um you know you'll get these small gigs here and there through the school or through somebody you you may know but it is it is a good trial run to see how um these how operations work in an an entertainment based uh city um there's a lot more going on here obviously but entertainment and music and and live music is a lot has a lot to do with the economy here um And so it's kind of uh, euphoric in a way to be a grad student studying music and then being able to make a little money on the side playing music, which is ultimately the goal, right? And uh, which is why uh, going to school here was one of the best decisions I've ever made is because you really get to see the inner workings of how this business works and how uh, how your networking skills are, and how your um, abilities are, and where they stand, and what do I need to work on? How do I need to make sure that I'm I'm sealing deals as opposed to like floating around, you know, with my networking skills? So um, I I find that it's a it's a very unique place to study and to kind of get your get your uh, feet under you as far as like your your chops go and like your ability to get gigs.
1: Right, yeah, and I think there's there can be a disconnect between the college experience and the the gigging experience. Right you know, in in that, like, okay, I I know how to play four mallet marimba now, and whatever other insert other percussion specific technique here, you right? Know? Um, <laughs> or orchestral tambourine. <laughs> yeah, right, and and we need to have those skills. Like, yes absolutely like that's there's no question about that but how does that apply on a gig or does it apply on a gig Mm -hmm. you know so there's that kind of disconnect and i think vegas um has all of those different um scenes you know we've got a great college program with students who are graduating playing really some of you know cutting edge contemporary repertoire right you've got shows you've got um, the Cirque du Soleil stuff going on you've got lounge bands there's a local rock band scene et cetera, et cetera. you know the list goes on all that stuff's going on here and so as a student for me and and it sounds like for you as well you know just getting that experience with your, with all of those different scenes and, and having a sense of how they all work together and how we you know we're all in this together as musicians right we all love what we do musically whether it be playing in a in a rock band at at a pub down the street or in the orchestra or whatever it might be yeah you know all of that comes together to make you a a more well-rounded musician if you allow uh yourself to kind of learn from how all those different scenes and networks work right you can definitely uh take
0: um, experiences from learning different instruments uh, and apply it all over the place. I mean, uh, one reason why I love studying the marimba is because I felt like I was developing my musicality in a way that was, uh, that was tonal, and so I could develop it in a way that was developing my musicality on the snare drum. Or uh, overall, just making sure that I was becoming a better musician in whatever I was learning at the time. Because oftentimes, people are like, I just want... I just want to get through this, or I don't really like playing this, so why do I need to learn it kind of thing. But I, I feel like every one of the instruments that we that we go about learning and are required to learn, I, I believe they teach us something in some form or fashion that's ap- applicable to the
1: real world. Absolutely. And I think it's it's important for us as individuals to know our strengths and weaknesses. Right. So, yeah, there are people out there who have been forced to play marimba at college and <laughs> they weren't especially good at it or they didn't enjoy it or yeah. whatever the case may be. Um, and that's fine, you know. Yeah. And but those same people are probably really great, I don't know, timpanists or drum set players drum or set whatever players, the case yeah. may be. So if if you know your strengths, then when the phone rings for a gig and someone says, hey, this, it's a up marimba thing, you're like, okay, well, I'm probably not your guy. Why don't you try calling this person, right? As opposed and, to you know showing up and, and doing a bad job and, and trying, know. yeah, <laughs> yeah, because uh, uh, often you know doing in that kind of scenario, if you go in and you kind of blow it, then you may not get a second chance. Yeah, to that's prove yourself on one of your strong instruments. You know,
0: that's something that was instilled in us um, in my undergrad experience of being as versatile as possible. So when we do get a call, we don't have to say. I'm not your guy kind of thing. Absolutely. And that's extremely hard to do because, you know, being, you know, uh, I don't know what the saying is, but being a master of nothing, but like kind of just being great at, at a bunch of different things will, will definitely land you more work. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, I, I feel like striving to be masterful at all the things that we play is, uh, will lead to even greater opportunities, obviously. but, um, which I guess the culmination and, and the end result, not necessarily the end result, but, uh, probably the bigger gigs that you've gotten have been a result of taking everything seriously and taking everything with, uh, a, a lot of detail in their development, which eventually lands you with, you know, with Cirque du Soleil and you played at a show before La Rev, right? There was a, there was another show that you were a part of.
1: Yeah, I started out as a, a sub-drummer on Zarkana, which mm-hmm. was a show that played... It was a touring show that ended up um, at the Aria Casino here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took the place of the Elvis show, which, which closed down. Oh, okay. And so I started out as um, a sub-drummer on that. The, the drummer, uh, Jakuba Griffin, was the, was, was the drummer for that. He was out for an extended period... And so they brought me in to, to fill in for him. Um, what a crazy and, experience. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it's, it's the, the way those shows work is very different to anything I'd experienced before. Like it was, it's not like a Broadway show where all the music was written out and you go and you learn your part, you know, um, it's for me, I just was handed a recording of this is how the show goes. Learn it. Wow. Um, a lot of shows while have while books, right? What's that?
0: A lot of shows have written out books, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, most of the Broadway shows do. Yeah. All of the Broadway shows, really, should, I should yeah. say, do. Like it's composer and an orchestrator and, and, you know, this is what you play. There might be room for improvisation here or there. Right. But typically the, the way Cirque du Soleil works is there's a creation process where everyone's involved um, in rehearsing all day, you know, all night. Together and and the music comes together um, symbiotically with the the act on stage. Oh, okay, right? I see. So yeah. coming in after the fact and learning the drum parts seemed kind of like uh, it can seem like completely like random. Like why is he doing an accent here mm-hmm. in the middle of in this really weird phrasing? But it's, it's because there's something happening on stage. Yes, yeah, that you're catching like a, a an a acrobatic trick trick or something like that right specialty act yeah yeah and so the the process of learning that was very very different Uh, and it was difficult because Jakuba wasn't around there to show me and explain the stuff i was just given a recording and and learn it and along with all that you're having to go through Cirque is a big company and you have to go through um, integration kind of process they call it you know so you gotta go and sign this paperwork and then go to Get your wardrobe fittings because we we're on stage and costumes. Then you got to learn how you how to do your makeup and wow, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right? So all of this is going on, and you're like, "Hey, can I just like go home and practice?" And yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, no, you can't. You have to be here doing this. Unreal. So, yeah. So that I was didn't even think about
0: that because because for Lorev, you don't have any makeup or anything like that. No, right? we,
1: no, we're just we're just in pit blacks basically, yeah,
0: tucked away. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah, and so that was a, a really an, an interesting, thrown being thrown in the deep end, right? Um, introduction to that style of music, and because I'm a percussionist, I also ended up subbing for, for Aaron Guidry, who was the percussionist on Zarkana. He's now the the percussionist and MD on Mystere. And um, that's a cool the, book.
0: I, I saw that show not too long yeah, ago. Yeah, it, it was yeah. a cool book.
1: Um, He's great. And he is, yeah. And so so that that was my kind of introduction to to Cirque I suppose so I
0: mean a lot of times sorry to interrupt but a lot of times like uh if somebody was being groomed to be a sub a lot of times you would like maybe sit in a couple shows for not necessarily for Cirque but I know for one show that I was going to possibly be a sub for he was like uh the guy that I was going to sub for was like, yeah, I'll just have you come in and watch four or five shows and see how, how it operates. Was that like that for you or were you just kind of thrown into it?
1: Uh, for the drum set thing at Zarkana, I was just thrown into it. Okay, gotcha. Ty- typically the way it works on most shows is, you know, someone will approach you, they'll say, hey, would you be interested in subbing for me? I'm going out- to be out of town on these, these days. Here's the book and they'll give you the music for the show. And probably a recording, if there is one. Sometimes right. there won't be a recording because of copyright reasons or whatever. Oh, I see. And then you'll learn the book on your own time. And they'll say, hey, why don't you come in and audit the show, like watch a couple of times, just get a sense of how it all works, look mm-hmm. at the setup, the instruments, you know, because another thing to remember when you're subbing is you're playing on other someone else's setup. Oh, so, right, right. you know, um, if you set up your drum set in a weird way, or if you're su- if you're, um, the person you're subbing for does, then that's a whole other, like, challenge, you know. Right. you got to, like, get used to playing <laughs> w- open, open-handed or something. If, oh, you know, man. It's left-handed, whatever the case may be, right? right. Um, and so, you know, you'd audit the show a couple times, and then when you feel comfortable, uh, you'd usually go in and play the show. And in my experience, what usually happens is that that first time that you play the show... This is without rehearsal. You you don't get a rehearsal if you're a sub. You just go in and just play play it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And usually the person who you're subbing for uh, will be sitting there watching, just making sure that everything's cool. They might give you some notes. If it was really bad, they could of course jump in and take over. If like you know you really (laughs) bombed, hopefully it wouldn't come to that. Hopefully not. So I didn't get that with um, the drum set book on Zarkana because Jakuba was not around. He was out. Um but with percussion, I was able to audit and watch a little bit, yeah and play, um, yeah, which was was really helpful because that book had like three sixty floor to ceiling percussion instruments, and you know unreal I, I needed to be able to see what he he you know there's this particular triangle that he plays here is it that one, or is it this one, or is that you know I'd, without watching, I wouldn't have known which instrument to even hit, yeah
0: <laughs> the so, uh it it's funny because uh it the when I met Kurt Rasmussen, um, who taught us role percussion at UNLV my time there, um seeing his setup at, at O was uh something that was um I, I was like, if I if I were in his in his uh shoes, I would need to watch him play this show of 10 times because that that setup is insane as well and it's required because cirque is very very percussion heavy.
1: Yeah. And and a, and a lot of it is all interacting with with the acts on stage. Exactly, yeah. And if you're watching and playing a show thousands of times, you know, over the course of years and years, then you get to know those acts, every little detail, so you know what happens is these these parts that probably started out fairly simply become elaborated upon and more and more things are added and sort of subtle changes here and there and it becomes something that would be very difficult for for a sub to come in and just kind of fill in not impossible but definitely a challenge
0: so how long were you involved with Zarkana total
1: uh I don't know exactly I feel like it was about a year or two maybe the show didn't last that long um that space was weird and At the Aria, they just couldn't get anything like to to work in that room. It was a beautiful theater, but I think the Aria was is more of a um a convention destination. I see. Yeah. So they actually ripped out the theater, unfortunately, and replaced it with convention space.
0: Yeah, it's a very nice Um, casino. It's very luxurious, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I I think it was a couple years there thereabouts. And I started uh, subbing on um. Uh, on Larev, mm-hmm. while still playing Zarkana, so of towards the end, I'd started subbing on Larev.
0: Okay, so that's where that's where the overlap happens because I right. knew there was there was an overlap. I just didn't know if you were doing both at the same time, but uh, like full out. So when Zarkana closed, you were just kind of kind of just going, okay, well, Larev could be a, a possibility, and then you eventually get the chair there. Uh, how long did you sub before you got the chair there, though? Um,
1: it was uh, probably a good year or two. Mm-hmm. So the the drummer at Larev, um, who who has since passed away. Um, oh wow! He he had he had cancer, and so they brought me on while he was going through treatment. I see. Because he didn't he didn't have a sub, and so. Um, as he was going through treatment, you know, if he needed a day off to rest and that kind of thing, then I would go and play the show for him. Right. And um, he was doing really well for a, for a couple of years. Uh, and then unfortunately, you know, it, it came back. And mm-hmm. so uh, that's how I ended up taking over full time there, which it's not pleasant to think of it that way. But right. in many cases in in our industry, in our careers, I would say, especially in kind of orchestral positions, you know, typically right. these jobs don't open up until someone retires or because their lifetime fa- passes away. Yeah, because yeah. people realize that these jobs are, you know, they Hard offer to come stability. By. Yeah, uh, which is very difficult to come by in in the industry. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I started over at La as a sub, and then eventually when they needed me to go full time um i started there doing that
0: lorev is well, such a
1: pleasant of circumstances unfortunately well,
0: what can you do mm-hmm. though i mean it and and for one thing it's it's for one thing it's not like it was something you wished or anything like that it's just you know it was something that just happened and um and for one thing lorev is such a unique and and it, a really cool show that uh the way it's set up is it's, um, circular audience with a stage in the middle There's there's water acts, there's acrobatics. Um, there's uh, a lot of, a lot of dancing and, uh, a sort of a, uh, a storyline that, that, um, it, I, the reason why I like circus is because the storyline seems to be, um, up for interpretation and, um, there's some clear cut stuff. And then there's also stuff that you're like, wow, I, this could go a bunch of different paths, but, um, how long have you been at Larev right now?
1: Uh, gosh, it's been a couple of years now uh, as a full time, probably right. a little over two years, and then a couple of years before that uh, as a sub.
0: Okay, yeah, and I it's a uh, incredible show, and it looks like a lot of fun um, to play. And there, a lot of these shows are are going uh, with software for instruments and tracks and stuff like that, uh, but your show and, and a couple of others are still sticking with live musicians, which is, I think makes the shows, uh, of course I'm biased, but I think makes the shows even more enjoyable. So, um, you know, obviously during quarantine and the coronavirus pandemic, it's been, uh, not, you haven't been able to perform or anything, but what has been kind of getting you through quarantine in isolation, um, have you been putting in more practice time? Have you been arranging, composing more?
1: Um, yeah, both of those things, and then of course, like you know, I think everyone's struggling in their own unique unique ways around the world to to deal with this. Um, as a musician, I would love to go back and play. You know, of course, that's it's that's been something that I've struggled with, just not the routine of going to, to perform and play and, and of course be around my friends and bandmates. That's, that's tough without, without saying, and I know everyone's going through that right. same thing. Um, musically, I've tried to stay occupied. First couple of weeks was just really weird. I think probably everyone was the same. Um, super odd. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I've had a couple projects that I hadn't really had time to, um, To to finish and so, I took that the opportunity that we've had extra time now to to finish off a percussion quartet piece that I've been working on for a long time on and off, and so that's kind of finished up. And whether or not we can all get together and play it in person, (laughs) who knows? Um, But I got that that for
0: is that for pan percussion?
1: Uh, Yeah, the original idea was for to perform it or record it with my group panel percussion i was going to have those guys all come out here and we'd we'd record it in vegas right Uh, i don't know if that's going to happen this year or if it's going to have to wait um so that and then a couple other composition things you know just sort of random stuff that i've been working on um some recording projects for a friend of mine who has me do drums and percussion tracks for him i've done a few of those things was
0: that the same guy Um, i met that one time
1: um the perhaps. studio at UNLV
0: <laughs> pianist
1: all oh, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah Robbie yeah. Wingfield
0: that yeah, that he's... was awesome he uh, Alex let me sit in um on a session a couple times and uh to see how he operated he operated his sessions how everybody was operating within that was really that was really cool
1: yeah so I've done a lot of stuff for him I have a, a pretty decent recording setup at home and so we don't right. need to have access to a recording studio and I can just send him Drum tracks or percussion stuff, which sounds way, way better than loops, you know, which is oh, no an exactly. option really at the yeah. moment without having access to studios. Um, and they're just trying to keep my chops up. Like that's, that's one thing. Like I love the Tommy. I'm going to do a plug for Tommy Argo's Great Hands for a Lifetime.
0: I've heard good things about that. book. Um,
1: I do that every day. It's yeah. really great. And it's just a, a practice pad workout. It can be as long or as short as you want. Just kind of goes through the rudiments, keeps your hands feeling good. Um, I'm going so to have to that get that book. Day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, the, uh, I, I, I definitely, I definitely hope stuff, um, you know, gets back to normal sooner than later because of the aspirations that I have, you know, throughout, you know, getting my career started and everything. It just so happened to fall at a terrible, terrible time. Uh, as far as well, as far as like my path goes, but um, as far as the pan percussion stuff though, you were going to do every year. You do a, a with your quartet. You do a, I guess it's a masterclass kind of camp thing uh, in Cleveland every year,
1: right? Yeah. So every July we do. It's it's actually in Medina, which is a little town outside of Cleveland, but it's in that general vicinity. Okay. And so. The Panda Percussion Quartet, um, we're made up of people from all over the country. I'm uh-huh. out in Las Vegas. Ryan Louie um, is in, in Medina in the Cleveland area. LSA O'Royal, uh is in Pittsburgh. He teaches at Duquesne. Uh, and Jeff Kroll is in Wisconsin. He teaches at University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Okay. And so we all we all come together um, in the Cleveland area every summer and teach a camp which is for middle school high school kind of pre-college students and we usually have like 40 to 50 students coming in wow it's very hands-on and students can choose to do a couple of focus groups if they want to do marching or if they want to do marimba or timpani whatever the case may be right and so the the unique thing about the group is that we all have our um i guess areas of specialty yes and so students have an opportunity to like to learn all the orchestral rep from LSAO, who plays with Pittsburgh Symphony regularly, for example, you know, or if they wanted to focus on Marumba Keiko Abe stuff, then of course I'm there to to work with them on that kind of stuff. Right. And so this year, obviously, we're not able to do it in person, so it's it's going online, and so I'm just going to do a shameless plug here and say that students might want to sign up. There's still a couple more weeks. It's it's running uh, middle schools from July first and second. And high school runs from uh, July 6th through 10th, I believe. And so it's all going to be online. Same format. There'll be clinics and masterclasses in the various kind of focus groups. Right. That kind of thing. And people can take private lessons as well if they want. There'll be opportunity to do that uh, over Zoom. So Awesome. Yeah. So my shameless plug is over now for that. No, it's cool. <laughs>
0: you you can plug whatever. It's... uh. <laughs> It's, um, it's funny because, uh, because I, 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 I tend to just let people plug whatever they want because it, I mean, it's not like I have a huge reach right now, but, um, I'm hoping that one day it gets big enough to where like when people plug stuff, it actually, uh, makes a huge difference. But the, yeah. the, um, well, a couple, just a couple more things. The, when you started the, I don't know if you, it was you who started Pana or not, but operating from different parts of the country, each member is in a different part of the country how does that, how do you go about doing that? Do you guys meet up every week or so? Um, I'm sure you plan out further out than people would think
1: Yeah, that's a real challenge I mean it it, it certainly is so Ryan and I were the people who started the group, Uh, I met Ryan on a day of percussion Years and years ago, um, we played a quartet uh, piece. I was the marimba artist for this, I think it was the South Dakota Day of Percussion. Oh, wow. Actually, with, with a, Stephen Tobin was... the Oh, when he was up there still. Yep, yeah, uh, another UNLV alumni. Yes. So he invited me out. I was a marimba clinician. Ryan was the timpani clinician. And, and they did like a, a, a percussion ensemble kind of grand finale sort of thing for the, for the evening concert. So Ryan and I met and we had a great time playing music together and we said, Hey, why don't we try to get a percussion group started? And so it kind of started from that ended up with our current lineup. Um, And so we have to choose our repertoire in with the thought in mind that we're not going to have a weekly practice time. Like if we were all living in the same city, right. Right. Which is a, it's a bit of a drag, you know, it'd be great to get together every week and, and rehearse and play. And, and that develops a, a certain level of ensemble that you cannot have any other way. Right. Right. Uh, and so instead we have our camp every summer um, and we get that week together. We're teaching of course, but then we can rehearse in the evenings and kind of work on new repertoire, that kind of stuff. And then um, in recent years, I've been trying to get these guys out to Vegas to, to do a recording session. And so we'll have some rehearsal days leading up to that. Um, that's kind of the way it has to work from yeah. the opposite sides of the country. I'm sure. Um, and then, of course, when we've done residencies at colleges uh, around the place, then, you know, we've had opportunities to rehearse. So it's kind of sporadic. But uh, the repertoire we choose, we can do. Uh, we can get it prepared with minimal rehearsal. And then we, when we do want to do more involved works, then we kind of spread out that rehearsal and over, you know, the the few times that we might meet, right, in the course of a year.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, uh, it's, that's something that's always um, been an interest of mine is is starting a pro group like that to uh, to either play works that I've always loved or or also commission new works, um, which right. I'm sure is a huge part of. The being a part of a pro ensemble like that, um, I talked to the Clocks in Motion people who, were, um, who came into UNLV this past semester before everything got shut down. And uh, that was the, the main thing that, that inspired me was the commissioning of new works and catering to what the ideas that you have through a composer. Um,
1: yeah, and we've done, we've done quite a few commissions with yeah. Anna, um, composers that we're friendly with. Uh, I've done some stuff myself. Yeah. You know, written for the group. And so I think creating new music for that format, percussion ensemble, percussion quartet, um, is an important element of what we do as percussionists, you know. Kind of right. building up our repertoire and, and literature and, you know, that's right. that's important in my eyes as something that we can contribute to the development of the percussive arts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, um, well, I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on that. Thanks for having me. I I appreciate the time and, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I wanted to plug a, a couple things for you. The, um, your, your music is available through tap space. Um, that's correct. Tap space. Uh, he has a lot of, uh, marimba arrangements, um, percussion ensemble stuff, duets, uh, I've played a marimba duet of his, uh, Sequoia. It's a really great piece. Um, pure Imagination uh, arrangement for marimba uh, solo. Um, recently, Fantasy Impromptu by Chopin is a duet that he's done. Um, and now you have uh, a couple things coming out or that have just come out?
1: Yeah. So I, I just did a marimba solo arrangement of What a Wonderful World, the famous Louis Armstrong uh, tune. So that's available now. Um, what else? There's a, a new piece called Floor Play, which is a body percussion piece. So um, that would be something that if people are stuck at home, quarantined, <laughs> um, you know, you could figure out a way to do a split screen, split screen kind of performance of that. Right. So you don't need any instruments, you just body percussion, play, yeah. play on yourself. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully a couple of new things coming up as well through again through Tap Space
0: did uh tba tba the uh recently you did the arrangement of the um song from up
1: right oh right of course yeah i almost forgot about that i did that like a year ago and it just took so long to hear back from disney um, oh i to see get permission to use to, to pu- pu- uh, publish the arrangement
0: i didn't and even so, think about that
1: yeah yeah so that's you know a big big company and a lot of hoops to to jump through to get that I'm right. sure fortunately yeah. tap space guys are really great about doing that Jim and Murray um, made, made that happen so I yeah it was basically a full year I submitted that arrangement to those guys I was like I don't know if we can get this published it'd be great I'm pretty mm-hmm. pleased with how the arrangement came out and so finally it came through and uh, yeah so that's that's available as well and awesome um, up on my YouTube page you can, or, or on the tap space, YouTube page, you can watch our of percussions, socially distanced performance of that yeah. recorded in our basements and garages and stuff all over the country. Very nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you can get all his stuff at, for, um, through TapSpace publications. Uh, you can find his YouTube channel. He has, he plays all the stuff that he arranges and composes. Um, you can find him on social media. You can follow Panna Percussion on all social media. Uh, he's available for lessons. I'm sure in this uh, through throughout various uh, outlets. Whether when we get back to in person, in person, or are you doing online
1: lessons? I'm doing online lessons. Yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. So yeah, you can contact him, um, and I'll provide links in the description below of his social media pages, Pana's uh, social media page- pages, and you know all all that other good stuff his uh tat space link and everything so um yeah, just thanks again for the time this is this was really great thank you, yeah, absolutely all right uh we will be i guess i am going I'm going back to the weekly thing, so every Wednesday you can catch a new episode of the rumino podcast um if you like it, give us a rate and review uh on whatever platform you're on spotify apple podcasts google play um yeah let's keep this thing going if you have any questions i'll provide an email link down below and i will be releasing a schedule now for whatever guests and uh, releases will be coming on so um yeah that's it for this one see you next time